It's an honor for me to come and to be here. I'm a small town kid, small town pastor's kids. And so I grew up in Mine Lamont, Missouri, which is the outskirts of Fredericktown, Missouri. The only thing that we're known for is a place called the Offsets, if you've ever heard of it. And so Mine Lamont was the first lead mine west of the Mississippi. Um, now that mine shut down forever ago. Now you can zip line into an old quarry that's filled with water while drinking your beer and cliff dive off of like 50 foot cliffs and there's it's it's a chaotic place don't go there um, nobody from our community goes there but people from st louis for some reason go there um, we don't recommend it but that's the that's the area that i was from my grandfathers both of my grandfathers were small town pastors um, both of them preached until they died in small town rural context uh, my grandpa lloyd elmer lloyd i'm about as redneck as they come elmer Grandpa Elmer, he pastored uh, my Lamont Church, uh, Fredericktown Church, a church called uh, Mill Creek um, was where he was at, and, and then he ended up at just the Fredericktown Church there um, until he was 87 and he passed away. Um, right at the end of his life, he got to come and hang out with us at, at church and, and spend some time with us, but he didn't at that point really know what was going on. Um, but it was just neat that, uh, to have that experience of watching those guys um, love their fellowships and their small town churches um, really well. My other grandfather was a small town Baptist uh, pastor as well, but um, he passed away right about 60 from, from cancer. And so um, that was like my upbringing. I've never, I was never in a church that was above 60 people. Uh, growing up, we'd have 30 or 40 most Sundays, so COVID's no big deal to me. Um, it's what I'm used to. Our church didn't have small groups. We were a small group most of the time. I became a Christian at the end of high school, and so um, even though my parents traveled and sang Southern gospel music, I left that part out, and my, uh, my grandpas were pastors who I lived with on the weekends while they were, well, my parents were gone. Um, while that was all going on, I wasn't a believer, though, and so I spent most of my time kind of making fun of them, or, or I loved them, they were loving to me, but trying to figure out why they were so convinced that Jesus was real. I moved my sophomore year of high school to a town called Farmington. Actually, I didn't move. I just changed schools. Still lived in my Lamont. And uh, my life fell apart, and then Jesus put me back together. Became a Christian at the end of high school. Met my wife. We're high school sweethearts. We have four daughters. Uh, now we've been married 17 years on Sunday. Um, so pretty excited. And I became a Christian at the end of high school. Loved playing basketball. I still coach varsity girls basketball to this day. Um, but I loved playing basketball at that point, and, and that's how I met Tim Gray. So Tim Gray was my college basketball coach at Mineral Area College. I got my discount knowledge at the junior college. It was great. Um, we met up there. I was working at that time, quit basketball, started working for an organization called Youth for Christ. Um, he was going to a church in Farmington, so I got connected with him at that church. Became a college pastor at that church. And then they kicked us all out, and we ended up planting a church called The Bridge, in 2006, um, and it's been quite a, quite a ride. And so in 2006, when we planted um, this church called The Bridge, it was larger the first Sunday than any church that I'd ever been a part of growing up. And I was 23. I don't know how old he was, he could tell you, um, but we, neither of us had ever pastored. Um, we didn't really know what we were doing. Um, but we saw God really work in our community. So my community now where the church is at, it's called Lettington. There's 422 people in Lettington, but our county has 68,000 people, and we draw from the entire county. If you've ever been to Park Hills, Lettington is really Park Hills, just right across from Mac. 
all the small towns joined together in like 94 and Lettington refused to join. And so they didn't become Park Hills. They're still Lettington and Park Hills. Um, but that's, that's where we are at. We have been able since 2006 to see some churches planted, church planting residents come through um, and go and plant more churches, different places. Indirectly, we've been able to help support. We've had some global impact. And so I want you to hear those stories like God can do big things through small towns. And we could stand here and we could talk about a lot of those things that he has done in our community and, um, and then through uh, that local church in the small town. And so lift your eyes in faith to that. But I also want to be honest about the struggles that I experienced personally in my soul over the last 14 years. So we are a 14-year-old church. Um, what I just talked about, and I could talk about a lot of things, would be um, about our church would be the things you see on social media, right? You know most people just post the good stuff on social media, not the bad stuff. Um, but I am, an, in reality, I'm an actual redneck, grew up very poor, limited education, experienced sexual abuse as a child, walked in chaotic sin in high school, um, became a Christian late in high school, but never really dealt with deep spaces in my heart before entering into ministry. And eventually those spaces in my heart were exposed. Um, our church building is not impressive. It looks like a circus tent. John, Ryan, John Ryan's been there. <laughs> and I failed way more than I've ever succeeded in trying to do ministry and plant churches. If I'm being completely honest, 2020 has been brutal at times. I mean, who's with me? I've prayed a lot of psalm-type prayers this year. Uh, done some whining like, Father, isn't you sports enough to have to deal with? Now you got to throw in a global pandemic and a civil rights movement? Like, come on, Father. You're going to throw all those things in the field of play at the same time? I've, I've been there. Um, but I want to just um, be honest about, about that because it has been hard. Um, and I know that you guys have been there too. And today I've been given the task of getting beneath the surface of like my resume, getting beneath the surface of my work, what I've done, what I've been known for. And so I've been given the task of talking about the heart of a small town rural pastor. And really to, this morning, I want to talk about protecting your heart as a rural pastor, okay? A small town pastor. So Proverbs chapter four, verse 23, you know, it says, keep your heart with all diligence. We're going to jump around. We'll be in Ephesians some places in a little bit. But keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. That's a verse that has been lighting my way uh, since about February. And God's just been reminding me over and over again, what do I need to do right now in this season? Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. I want to share some ways that I've had to learn to keep my heart over the last 14 years of ministry. Um, but if I was honest, um, most honest, most of these lessons I've been really putting into practice over the past three years. And here's what I want to submit to you, that uh, to keep your heart, like the proverb says, with all diligence as a rural small town pastor or even in the city, you need to be able to recognize and know the right responses to sin, uh, wounding that you've experienced, and spiritual warfare or the demonic. I think these three categories have played out in the context of my own life and in the life of our church and our ministry. And I've had to learn how to keep my heart um, when looking and thinking about the categories of sins, wounds, and spiritual warfare, or maybe you would call it the demonic. Now, where this becomes problematic for me and where it became problematic for me and what I had to learn uh, was this, that 
um, a lot of times my flock or myself sins, right? And we want to be delivered or healed of sin when we actually need to repent, <laughs> all right? And so we've got to talk about the right response to, to, to that. Often, though, as well, you're going to walk around with wounds that you experience in ministry or wounds from your past, um, and your people are walking around with deep wounds um, in, in the context of your church, and they may try to repent of their, of their wounds or be delivered from their wounds when they actually need healing from their wounds. And then demonic or spiritual warfare, a lot, a lot of times we try to um, be healed or, or repent of spiritual warfare when, when we really need to pick up the armor of God to stay, to stay standing. And so what I found is that in my own heart, there was a lot of responses that were just not right to the situation that was at hand. And to keep my heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life, I had to learn how to respond to each of those so to protect your heart, number one, first, uh, to make it in the long haul in your old ministry, you've got to see sin needs repented of. Your sin needs repented of. My grandfather, he used the KISS method, which is keep it simple, stupid, and he'd often remind me to take heed lest you fall, um, to repent. And he would say, you're going to be ministering to people who sin while wrestling with sin in your own life. And you're going to be constantly confronted with the sins of your community. And he would teach me and he would tell me, son, you got to repent. And you got to be a guy who repents. you got to lead your community in repenting. You and your flock will never stop repenting. I think we're all in the same theological state here that um, there is that sin that's ongoing that we are going to need to um, repent of. I know some traditions are not, but I think here we are. Um, but the Bible, in my experience, teaches me um, that I'm never going to graduate from that need to repent, and neither will my flock as, as a shepherd. If we are in Christ, I would agree there's definitely prog progress, progressive change that you see and experience in your life. Um, but also, the longer that I've been in Christ, the more, um, the more that I've had to see how big of a sinner I am. It's like the more that I've walked with Jesus... Two, two things happen simultaneously. The, the greater Jesus becomes to me because I know just how wonderful and good and great the gospel is, but I also see my sin a lot more clearly. <laughs> it's like there's a growing awareness of that sin in my, in my own life. And so Paul uses the illustration of taking off your clothes and putting on new clothes in the book of Colossians and Ephesians in reference to repentance, and he's writing to believers in Colossians chapter 3. It's a great gospel-centered passage at the beginning of it, but I want to spend just a moment there as we think about sins that need repented of, um, looking at what Paul says in Colossians 3, verses 5 through 11, about taking off and putting on, putting to death, bringing to life, repenting, uh, speaking to believers. In verse 5, he says, put to death, therefore, that which is earthly in you, and then he gives a laundry list of sins. Do you ever do that on Sunday morning? Like, hey, guys, here's a laundry list of sins that you need to repent of, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator, and then he continues and starts talking about how there's, in Christ, um, good things. 
and here's what you bring to life. But he's telling them to repent of um, at least three categories of sins. Sexual sin, religious sins, and relational sins. There's overindulgent sins in there too. Um, But I want to think about those three aspects of of our life as a pastor to repent of. Sexual sins, religious sins, and and, um, relational sins. Sexual sins, you know if you're a pastor and and this happens, most likely that's an automatic disqualifier, right? So how do you guard your heart to not even put yourself in those situations for that to become an, um, an issue for you? And you got to put in some practices and have men around you who are asking tough questions and constantly give your wife permission to ask you questions. But I'm not talking about just over the top, um, you know, you go and have an affair type of sin. We can hide. And you can hide pornography. Right? He says, repent of that. Repent of that. You can hide a lot of lust. Sidebar conversations. Texting, social media. There's those things. And first off, if you've been there, you need to repent. All right? The second off, I would say you need a plan to keep your heart. You need a plan to keep your heart. And so um, I just turned back on social media after being off of it for three years and getting ready to turn it off again because... It's not good for my mental health, and I know that. Um, but I was trying to talk to people through the pandemic. But it's amazing to me to have it back on, how much temptation there can actually be just from being on there. All right, sexual sins. We don't have to spend a lot of time there. Religious sins. Um, while you don't get away with sexual sin, a lot of y'all can get away with religious sin. Um, platform idolatry. Um, but it gets exposed eventually. A lot of times it'll play out in trying to control your people, power. People might say you're heavy-handed um, or you just stop loving people well. It can also play out in overwork um, and then it's, you stop loving your family well. Um, but religious sins of covetousness, coveting other platforms and ministries, idolatry, of uh, being that small-town guy and wanting to, wanting to have the big city flock or something, um, can, can play out very easily in your life. You've got to guard your heart. Guard your heart in that. Overwork can be something that you throw yourself into because you're man and you want to get things done. That's my personality, at least. I want to be able to say, these are the 10 things I did today and check them off, you know? And you can stop loving your people well or you can stop loving your family well. There's those religious sins. Relational sins, though. So sexual sins, religious sins, relational sins, he lists, that we need to repent of. Um, Essentially this, your mouth is, in fact, an overflow of your heart. Jesus said it we got to agree with him, right? Like what comes out of your mouth is what's actually in your, in your heart. And so for me, a check is how do I talk about my flock, first off, to other people? How do I talk about other pastors um, when I'm around other people? And because um, frankly, for me, that's how i got to keep my heart. And I know I can quickly go to that list of slander, Right? can happen so I got to keep my heart and what I found um, about three years ago on my 35th birthday I kind of fell apart in in ministry we'll talk about that in a minute Um, but um, I wasn't keeping my heart primarily in those two categories of religious sins and in relational sins relational sins again it gets messy for some of us we need it does get messy for some of us when you have to go and start apologizing to people, asking for forgiveness, 
walking alongside of it, telling your flock I didn't love you well. It's, it's hard, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Keep your heart. Take heed lest you fall. Sin does need repented of, and when you stop repenting of sin, there's a fall coming. Now, let's talk about wounds. This is where it gets messy, all right? It gets messy a little bit when we think about wounds because wounds um, need healing. Wounds need healing. Where there's an overt sin that needs repented of in your own life, it's likely that there are also wounds that are going to need exposed and healed. Darren Patrick, which you all know, he said this before he passed. We often get sins and wounds confused. Sins are rebellious places in our heart that need repentance, but wounds are tender places in our hearts that need healing. You can't repent of wounds, and you can't get therapy for sin. Now, here's the deal. I do not 100% agree with that statement without some nuance. Um, wounds often do lead to sin that need repented of, all right? So it gets a little blurry there, right? But let's think a minute for the heart of that statement. Often, repetitive sin is a coping mechanism for underlying pain. It's how you cope. So it's coming out. Repetitive sins that need healing is often a coping mechanism for underlying pain in your life. And often some wounds need to be healed so that you or your people can be freed, can fully repent and be freed. Here's what I mean. Sexual sin can be exemplified in people who have experienced the sexual wounds of abuse. My high school was, um, was chaotic, um, and it got exemplified as I was trying to figure out these sexual wounds of abuse as a kid. Overindulgence can often be a numbing attempt to not have to sit and feel unworthy or uncomfortable in the space in your own head. Relational sin can often be exemplified and then aimed at others when someone has experienced deep relational wounds. You've heard it. Hurt people hurt people, right? You may get aimed at, <laughs> so then you aim at somebody else. And often, though, as a pastor, it may then get aimed at your son or your spouse or a member of your church. You need to ask your wife if you've aimed at her. So let's get practical. Um, you will be wounded in ministry, and you probably do have wounds from your past. I wish somebody would have told me plainly, though, you'll be wounded in ministry. Um, yeah, I wish they would have. Um, you will baptize people that leave angry. You will provide pastoral care to people who walk away and can never look at you again or speak poorly of you. Um, it's going to happen. You're going to walk alongside leaders who, who then have to go somewhere else, and sometimes for good reason and sometimes for not. And um, you've got to walk with it, and your wife has to walk with a lot of it as a pastor. And so you'll be wounded, and she's experienced some wounds as well, wounded in, wounded in ministry. And I finally spun out on my 35th birthday, and all of those wounds actually poured out of me. It was a good thing. Like, I needed the wounds to pour out of me. I was 11 years into ministry when it happened, and the main refrain that I would repeat, Stan's one of our elders, um, in counseling and probably to that team was, I just felt used. That was like a, that was a main refrain. It was whiny. It's kind of sad when I think about it, but the truth is, I, that's how I felt. I felt used, used, um, and there was wounds that had to be kind of came out of me and dealt with and bring healing to. And here's the truth. I needed to seek health in areas of those wounds from my past and from the present. And I don't need to go into that. This is not my counseling session. 
But I do want to give you a few helps, like eight things you can do as you process your wounds. Uh, number one is this. Uh, you got to see Jesus as a bruised Savior for broken humanity. you got to gospel-centered this, right? It's always about Jesus. But in Isaiah 53, he said, um, it writes about Jesus. He's despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows. A man of sorrows. He knows pain. He knows emotional turmoil. Acquainted with grief. And as one who men hide their faces, he was despised and he was esteemed, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. You got to see Jesus as that broken, wounded Savior, man of sorrows, who comes not just to save you of your sins, but to rescue you from broken humanity. He sent him into the world to, to rescue us from our sin, from our selfishness, and from our, from our brokenness. Sometimes you've got to be honest about that brokenness with someone. Uh, two, you've got to surrender that pain. For me, I wanted to hold on to it. I felt like I really deserved to be angry, you know? And I wanted to hold on to that pain. And, and honestly, there's probably sometimes I did have a right for sure to be angry. But I had to surrender that pain. And then three, repent of ungodly responses to wounding. I'm a, I was a guy, I, I learned hard. Um, um, but if somebody did something to me, I really wanted to respond in kind. And so I had to repent of a lot of ungodly responses to wounding that came. Four, I had to give my emotions permission, which was really weird for me, because I'm not an emotional guy, I'm not a touchy-feely guy. The COVID's been great for me, because I don't want to touch any of you. Um, <laughs> it's just how it is. Um, but I had to give my emotions permission, like I had to actually feel them. I can remember sitting in counseling and um, talking about a, a deep pain in my life, a deep wound in my life. And the counselor looking at me and saying, do you feel anything right now? And I'm like, yeah, I feel everything. And he's like, well, we can't tell. <laughs> and had to like figure out how to feel again after being numb for so long. But then it gets weird because then you're crying at random times and people think you're depressed. And I'm like, I'm okay, I promise. But I had to give my emotions permission. Five, had to repent then of ungodly substitutes. So not just ungodly responses to wound wounding, but ungodly substitutes to where, um, uh, for me personally, alcohol could easily become my numbing agent. I had to look at that and uh, make sure you don't go too far. Yeah. Uh, six, I had to break some ungodly ties. I wanted to be missional, the most missional guy on the planet, you know. I had tons of friends who were non-Christians still do. There's a few that took a lot more life than gave life. And there's some ties I had to break in some godly ways. Seventy, I, I allow God to not just give permission for those emotions to go, but actually surface those pain and talk about it to somebody. And you got to find somebody safe, okay? If there's wounds from your ministry, you got to find somebody safe to talk about those wounds. You don't want to go blabbing it to everybody in your congregation. That would be bad and divisive. Um, I found some other pastors and some counselors. But I had to let it come to the surface. The stuff that I never wanted to think about or talk about, my wife had to force me to think about and talk about. 
seek forgiveness. And then finally choose to make that choice to forgive others. Like um, I had to seek forgiveness in some hard spots. And so I could stand up here all day and tell you everything I did wrong. Um, I could. But the one thing I did right was let, let's finally let Jesus help heal me from some deep wounds. And so it's okay. I want to I tell you this. Um, it's okay to find a gospel-centered or driven counselor. I kind of grew up in a reform space to where counseling mental health was um, uh, made fun of, talked bad about, horrible, you know, all those things. Um, yeah, and so, but it's okay to go to counseling. I think about it this way. NASCAR, you might have 500 lap race. Those cars take a pit stop. They don't go 500 laps. They pull over and take a pit stop, right? Sometimes we need to pull over and take a pit stop. So we want to protect our heart for the long haul. You might need that pit stop. And it's okay to pursue counseling with your wife. It's okay to um, pursue um, just meeting with other people. But there are going to be wounds. And so you got to see how to, what, how to respond. The lines get blurry, right? The lines get blurry because sometimes your wounding leads to some sinning. And the sin needs repented of. But you got to get some healing for those wounds. Or some of those repetitive sins are going to pop back up again. All right. Finally... This is really the thing I wanted to talk the most about, spiritual warfare. Um, so where sins need repented of and healing and wounds need healing, spiritual warfare, you've got to be like the demonic needs deliverance, but you've got to see how to stand with your spiritual armor. There have been times when I needed to repent to keep my heart. There's been times that I needed to seek healing from wounds to keep my heart. Um, but just... Frankly, and you can talk to Stan about it, there was a season where there was intense spiritual warfare in our church that just couldn't be explained. I don't know if you've been there. Um, we could, okay, we're repenting of sin, we're seeking healing for wounds, but there's something else happening. Like intense spiritual warfare that was taking place. Um, and to stay standing in spiritual warfare when it does come your way, because he prayed it actually, he prayed that Satan, um, the gates of hell will not prevail against, you know, the church. Well, they're trying to, right? And Jesus is stronger. But first, we've got to be aware that there's actually a spiritual battle and that this isn't just a normal job that you're walking into. This is um, spiritual. This is uh, eternal things. Um, it's not just going to work at um, a local business. There's spiritual warfare and there's forces of evil that want you to fall. Want you to fall. So Ephesians 6, verse 10. So you got to be aware there's a battle. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of, of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Stand firm. goes on. We'll read some more in a minute. You've got to realize there's actually a battle. Like, I always had this category of spiritual warfare, but, and it was kind of a theological ascent into, in my head and space in my head, like, this is probably real, and yeah, I know it's true. And then when it happens... It's a whole nother playing field. Um, 
Yeah, you got to be aware of the battle. battle. There's biblical pre- precedents for it. Revelation 12, Genesis 3, Matthew 4, Jesus, 1 Peter 4, 12. Don't be surprised, he's going to say. Church history speaks about it. Um, I won't go into church history, but you can read a lot of church history that kind of makes some of our craziest charismatics seem sane. Uh, when you read about how they talked about, like Martin Luther talked about demons, his, his demonology is, um, makes our craziest charismatics look sane. But the Ephesian context in Acts chapter 19, um, Paul runs into disciples of John in, in Ephesus, right? And so the context of that book and that passage in, in Ephesians 6, where he's talking about spiritual warfare, you got to go back to where the church was planted in Acts chapter 16. And Paul runs into, um, Acts chapter 19, Paul runs into disciples of John and Ephesus who had never heard of the Holy Spirit. They received the Spirit in that passage. And then Paul shares the gospel in the synagogue for three months. You can go read all that. And then he goes to the Hall of Tyrannus for three years. Um, and he's preaching the gospel and it says he's doing these miraculous things. And then those Jewish itinerant exorcists show up, right? The seven sons of Sceva. And uh, they come trying to mimic Paul and cast out demons, and, and they get beat up by, by the demons. And um, I love how Chandler says, you know, you lost a fight when you start the fight with your pants on and you leave the fight with your pants off. And that's a good redneck fight. You know you lost. Um, but then after that happens, um, there's a riot that breaks out because it's causing business um, men in that city money. Um, after the fight, people see the, the power of God. Paul casts out the demons. He beats, you know, there's all these things. They see the power of God, and they get convicted of their sin, and um, they're afraid. And so they start burning all their, like, religious, uh, false, false God stuff and all their idolatry, uh, idols, and, and this riot happens, right? That's kind of how the church was birthed. How was your church birthed? Well, there's a riot, and, um, yeah, uh, that's how that church was was birthed it was birthed in the midst in the context of spiritual warfare you got to be aware of that battle there is a battle there is warfare you got to be aware of satan's schemes he lies to us genesis 3 1 says did god really say this he tempts us james chapter 1 says you're lured enticed by sinful desire Uh, he deceives us to fight with each other verse 12 is going to say he at times can afflict us 2 Corinthians 12, 7 actually says that the thorn in Paul's flesh was, flesh was a minister of Satan. He can afflict us. Satan wrestles with us, desiring us to fall. Desiring us to fall. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. He desires you not to stand, but to fall. And so, it plays out in a couple ways. He wants your marriage to fail. He wants you to fall, not get healing for those wounds or repent of your sin. He wants your church to fail and fall, movements to fall. You got to know there's a battle, know there's a scheme, and then get equipped. So the rest of that's get equipped. I don't have to teach you this passage, but let's read it. Got to be equipped. Verse uh, 13, therefore, having the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the evil day, having done all, stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness, shoes for your feet, the gospel of peace. Verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith in which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, 
Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that the words may be given to me to, in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the ministry or the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in, t- in change, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. A lot of people stop there. Their footnotes are important. Verse 21, so that you also may know that I am how I am and what I am doing to kick us, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. He will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your heart. Talking about keeping our heart, right? Garden, garden our heart. You got to be aware in spiritual battles that there is, be aware that there is a spiritual battle and then you got to be equipped, belt of truth. Jesus is my truth. Don't give Satan a foothold by knowing and speaking truth. Um, breastplate of righteousness. He's your permanent righteousness. Ephesians is going to tell you, but here it's talking about putting on your practical righteousness. Your practical righteousness. Don't give him an inch in those areas of lust, greed, injustice. Put on the gospel, gospel shoes so it's not enough to just kind of defensive posture. Um, to know the truth and, and pursue holiness, like those first two pieces of the armor, like knowing the truth and pursuing holiness. Um, but it's not just to get into that. Um, that's not enough. You also got to press the gospel in the darkest areas of your community. You don't give him an inch when he attacks by shutting down. You actually want to ramp up. Ramp up, not neglecting to share the gospel. Hold on to that shield of faith. Satan is going to fire those enemy arrows of doubt and despair. Revelation 12 calls him the accuser of the brothers. He'll do that. Yeah, accusation. You're never going to be able to do this or that again, or you're never going to find victory in this area of your life. But you go back to his word. You remember who he is. You build up your faith. Hold on to the truth about the gospel, what God says about you. The helmet of salvation, you just hold up that head in confidence in your salvation. I am alive with Christ. I'm redeemed, forgiven, reconciled, raised with Christ, seated with Christ, right? Uh, If you just read Ephesians, it's all about having that confidence in your salvation. The sword of the Spirit, the Bible says the Word of God, defensively uh, keeps us from sin, offensively penetrates our hearts. You can read Psalm 119. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you, right? Ephesians 4.12, the the Word of God is living and active, and, and it actually exposes joints and marrow and our soul our soul penetrates our hearts you got to get in the word got to be devoted to prayer man i learned how to pray in the last three years that's funny to say as a pastor but i think i finally learned how to pray in ephesians 6 18 it just talks about that praying at all times in the spirit with supplication and and on and on um you won't always feel like praying but you got to pray pray for others the battle is real even when it doesn't look like it, pray, you know? Um, pray, pray, pray. Don't give him an inch by neglecting prayer. You, you pick up those pieces of the, of the armor to help you. And, and then those last little verses where to kick us is encouraging hearts. It's important you be connected. Sins need repented of. Wounds need healing. Spiritual warfare needs that, those weapons so you can stay standing. But don't miss, after he talks about the weapons, he talks about this gospel partnership. To kick is coming to encourage their hearts. Right? Isolation never wins. Never works. Never works. You've got to have some people that you're partnered with, that you know and you love and you trust, that can come and encourage your heart. Battle buddies. 
Battle Brothers. I know John Ryan's going to talk about um, Acts 29 in the breakout session. I might encourage you to go and, and, and check that out. Find your battle buddies. But don't give him an inch by being that Lone Ranger pastor, a Christian. Um, what kept Becky and I going is I had pastor buddies, and Stan and Derek and the guys that are here can tell you, who jumped on planes, like my wife called them. Sometimes you need to do that. She called my buddy in North Carolina, Donnie Griggs, uh, one of my friends in, in Houston, Texas, another friend who's up in D.C., and uh, two of them jumped on a plane and showed up at my house the next day. I had a pastor buddy in Farmington at a Calvary Chapel church who came knocking on my door at 5 a.m. in the morning and said, I just had, you know, I've been reading and praying. And that. He had a prophetic moment, we'd say. And he's not charismatic. And he came and just prayed over us and talked. you got to have that gospel partnership, these guys that can invest in your life and spend time with you, but also ask you the tough questions. But I want you to remember the goal at the end of Ephesians 6.13. This was freeing for me, all right? The goal at the end of that, when spiritual warfare does come your way, if it hasn't happened yet, it will, um, especially if you're trying to take new territory for Jesus. Um, the goal at the end of that isn't that you baptize 500 people. The goal at the end of that is not that you have a multi-congregational campus, which we did that and failed once. So yeah, we can talk about that. Um, the goal at the end of that is, is not that you have a book deal or that you get to speak at conferences. The goal at the end of that is that you just stay standing. Do you catch it? Like you won the battle if you're still standing up. That's it. How freeing is that? Man, it was freeing for me. Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. you got to recognize sin and repent. You never graduate from that. If you have wounds from your past, they will turn up. Or wounds from your present, you got to figure out how to find healing. And then be ready when spiritual warfare comes. And, and with Jesus, and in his power, you can stay standing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for... Um, the chance to speak to these men for a long time about um, some stuff in my life that you've been teaching me for the last three years. Um, and Father, um, I ask that, uh, that it would, would encourage and bring life. And, and Father, I pray for these men in this room as they go back to small towns or large towns and, and minister uh, to people that they'd have this sort of new thought process in a way uh, for themselves to keep their heart and to see their flock. That there are times that they themselves have sins that we need to repent of, our healing that we need to find in our wounds, and spiritual warfare that we have to figure out how to stay standing in, how to recognize the difference as we keep our hearts, but also look out to our congregation, look out to our congregation and, and, and recognize people are walking in these same things, walking in sin that needs to be repented of, but a lot of brokenness and wounding that needs healing and some spiritual warfare that wants to take out their family. So, Father, give us grace to see, eyes to see, uh, but help us keep our hearts. So in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.